Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on surgery scar conversations, throwing your boss under the bus, a snoring house guest, and a smelly neighbor's shoes. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about people who are always correcting others. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on... The Four Elements to Mastering a Skill. All that is coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan post Sanning. And I'm enchanted by the state that we live in. It is so incredibly beautiful. Aw, that's so sweet. It is. As we all know, I feel that way all the time. And I know you do, too. But it really is. Fall is a really beautiful time in this state. When it's not gray and rainy and you get the golden light and in the air has, you know, that crisp, fresh quality to it and so clean. It's just really, it's a beautiful time to be here. And come on, it's apple picking season and football season and, you know, pumpkins <laughs> it's the Falls peak great. of the peak it is it is and i'm about to head out of town <laughs> well you timed it just right because the peak foliage does not last long i tell people it's about a four or five day window i would say so and it it sort of crescendos you start off yeah. with these yellows and oranges and then it's fiery red, orange, yellow, and then it sort of rusts out a little bit, which is also kind of beautiful. <laughs> and, and you can kind of feel it if you drive north and south a little bit. You'll drive kind of through these Different layers of, of color. It. No, it's true. It's true. Oftentimes I have a drive south around this time of the year and I'll, I'll sort of chase the color south. But not this year. This year I'm hanging tight and enjoying it from the comfort, beauty, <laughs> solace of, your of my own home. home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, it's a good thing you did because you, cousin, I must give you much, much applause and credit for Train the Trainer the past two weeks. We host our annual Train the Trainer uh, in the fall for one of the reasons that it is a beautiful time to come here if you are going to come to Vermont. Um, And we did two weeks worth of training. I do about one day worth of training out of those two weeks. And you really, you did a spectacular job organizing everything. Thing. I mean, all I, I I had to like book a menu and that was it. <laughs> I really like your club. We hosted this year's training at Lizzie's Club, and it's Vermont National. It was yeah. a new experience, and I had left it in your hands. I showed up on Monday morning, and everything went really smoothly. Everyone loved it. Good. It was really fun getting to meet our business trainee Chandran. 
who is a fan of the podcast. So hi, Chandran. We had some really great conversations and, and that was a really fun time and kind of a different business etiquette training this year. And I had wonderful attendees in the wedding etiquette for professionals training. So it was, I just felt like once again, this is a time where we really get to connect with people who love etiquette, who love the idea of bringing etiquette into their businesses, their communities, their lives in different ways. And it is so it's so inspirational and it gives us such perspective. And I just I love these weeks. And you did such a smashing job, really making sure that we had everything that we needed and that you guided everyone through their classes. Well, it's nice of you to say so. And I couldn't agree more about what a treat it is to meet people that want to be ambassadors for good etiquette, for consideration, respect, and honesty in their communities. And it feeds me also. There's a lot of work that goes into it, but we get so much out of it. And the thing I wanted to be absolutely sure I did this morning was thank all of our trainers for coming, for making the effort, and for sharing their enthusiasm and passion for this topic with us. Absolutely. And let's share some with our audience. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, I-N-S-T. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show sustaining members remember to put sustaining member in your message we'll answer your questions on the sustaining member site where you can access an ads free version of the show and all of your bonus questions awesome etiquette gets support from Storyworth. there are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. 
That's StoryWorth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now, back to our show. Our first question this week is about knee surgery inquiries. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Recently, my mom has had knee replacement surgery. She's recovering well, but currently has a long scar that goes from the top of her kneecap to two inches below her knee that is covered in about 20 steri strips, and she walks with a cane. She lives in southern Alabama, so shorts are a must in the current weather. However, this leaves her knee exposed for all to see when she is in public. Last week, while out to dinner, two different women approached her and asked about her scar. She was fine with responding she had recently undergone knee replacement surgery. But then the ladies asked follow-up questions, and one of them said that she also had knee replacement surgery and shared details about her experience and recovery with my mom. My mom did not feel this was an appropriate conversation with strangers, especially while she was trying to eat dinner. She asked me if there was a way she could respond with, I recently had knee replacement surgery, physical therapy and healing are going well, No further questions, please, (laughs) without coming across as rude. We tossed around a few ideas for a sample script, but everything we had either seemed rude or left the door open for more questions. Is there a possible sample script my mom could use that would answer strangers about the bandaging on her knee or why she is walking with a cane without seeming rude and engaging in a conversation? Or should she just smile and answer questions and listen to strangers share their own experiences with knee replacement surgery? (laughs) I cannot wait to hear your insight and share them with my mom, who is very excited I am writing in on her behalf. Thanks. Emma. Emma, thank you so much for writing in. I'm sorry that your mom is going through this, though. I don't mean to laugh and giggle, but I, I like the excitement for the response and the writing in on behalf of mom and that kind of stuff. And, and it's I, a little uncomfortable, it, it, no, the situation. It a little like, oh. laughter can kind of diffuse it a bit. It's so funny. We've gotten so used to, I feel like, as a culture online just piping up and talking to people and even talking to strangers and people who we have no idea who they are behind that screen name that I think in some ways it's like carried over into our everyday conversations where we just don't mind saying random (laughs) they're sharing bits and then just moving on along but you kind of forget sometimes that what you say that sharing is a good thing, right? We're all taught it's good to be open. You know, I do think we've seen a, a lot of good come from people being willing to be open and let things out and things like that. But at the same time, somehow when we're eating, it doesn't seem to be the right time to always talk about like surgery and recovering from surgery and the details that might go into that. And when it's a stranger, I think there's sometimes a freedom to that that makes people feel totally okay divulging deeper details. And for other people, there's a sense of, I really have no desire to be knowing this about you, information overload, you know? And how the heck do you delicately navigate that? Um, and I, I, so I feel you that it's been challenging to come up with a sample script. I do. I do. My idea for a sample script might come from some kind of acknowledgement of that point of connection that is a natural entree into conversation. I'm like you, picturing strangers meeting, right? But discovering that they've got something in common, yeah, and that can be enticing. That can yeah. kind of draw you Connect in. People, all yeah. of a sudden, there's this very instant, very immediate. Oh, I understand what you're going through, and I have my own experiences, and I want to share, and I want to connect. Sympathy and empathy. 
at the same time, the person who's walking with a cane, who has a visible scar, may have had three or four or five of these conversations recently, maybe some with family, people that they really want to have these conversations with, maybe even some with strangers who they felt that same rapport with. But yeah. Now it's the fifth time, sixth time, seventh time. Now it's dinner time. The tolerance is down. <laughs> I'm wondering if you could even acknowledge that in your sample script. Oh, I had a surgery recently. It's pretty much consumed me and I'm so ready to Not move talk on it. from it. <laughs> and could that be a way to sort of acknowledge that kinship, that connection, that impulse to talk and at the same time say I've really had enough of it or now is not the right time? I feel like it could be. I'm going to go with one one step like like a, a first step before hitting that step. And I think that first step is to just try to brush it off and not even give much detail I like to it. see if you can move past it. So, oh my goodness, what happened to your knee? Oh, just the usual tune-ups and adjustments, you know. Thanks for asking. You don't even have to do the thanks for asking because you're not really thankful that they asked. So, I don't know. It's your, your call whether you add that in. If they ask further, they say something like, oh, I had a knee surgery recently. Because look, looking at your knee, my guess is that they're going to guess pretty quickly that, you know, your knee was opened up and you had some kind of knee surgery. So, oh, I had knee surgery, such and such. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a lot to recover from. I'm actually so exhausted from talking about it. I was thrilled to be having lunch with my daughter. And, it, like, it's just good to get away and, and kind of think about something else. If they don't pick up on that, I think you might just try to be be polite and 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 bear what you're going through because you've tried twice now to kind of with a stranger remember this isn't with a close friend who you can just say Becky I am sick of talking about it let's talk about something else and be kind of friendly blunt about it I think because it's a stranger there are some times where you kind of you you try to guide away and when they just don't pick up on it I find it's easier to just kind of say oh okay you know I lost that one but you know, then just move on because we know these moments just happen, right? They do. And as is so often the case with a moment on this show, I like your sample script better than mine. I love this idea of, oh, the usual tune-ups and adjustments. <laughs> right. It is a little bit of humor. And at the same time, it shows sort of a casual disinterest yes. in the topic, which is a really great signal to send someone. That's what you're wanting to convey. And that's a way to convey it with good humor, with a smile, without denying the question. Yeah. As you say, if this person persists, then you can sort of escalate your gentle disinterest. I liked your guiding us away. For, I'm so sick of talking about it, you know. But I, I – did you get so sick of talking about it too when you had your surgery? No, that just furthers the conversation. Clearly not. <laughs> Emma, we hope that your mother's recovery continues to go smoothly. We appreciate your good humor and hope that this advice helps her navigate the situation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to make you reflect what I want to see. You just wait and see. Hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is titled, Anxious Graduate Student. 
Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your lovely podcast. It's always the first thing I listen to once it's released, and I've gone back into the archives and listened to every episode at least once. Woohoo! Yay! Thank you. I am a graduate student, and so I'm in many ways at the beginning of my professional career. I was supposed to have revised a paper over a week ago based on comments from my advisor, but I can't work on it because I haven't gotten comments yet, despite earlier promises indicating I should have gotten them by now. A more senior member of my advisory committee, in many ways my boss's boss, will surely ask me about where this paper is sooner or later. I don't want to be held responsible for something beyond my control, but I also don't want to throw my advisor under the bus for not having gotten feedback to me in a timely manner. I'm sure this sort of situation happens quite often in the professional world, and I'd like to be able to be honest in situations like these without sacrificing consideration or respect. Any advice on sample language for how to respond to inquiries about where this paper is? Better yet, any thoughts on how to get ahead of this situation? All the best. Anxious graduate student. What a great question. Isn't it a good question? I love it. And it's... Forethought. So anticipatory, exactly, about both this particular circumstance, but also about generally ways to handle this type of thing. And they do come up. And much like our last question where we were talking about kind of like... First response, second response. Our graduate student here has done the first thing of kind of following up and asking when these these comments might be coming to them and gotten an answer. Like, you know, there isn't just total silence. We've had one round of communication where these comments should have showed up for us at some point. You know, it's not like this person is completely just sitting back and and like, you know, oh, that person hasn't done what they're going to do. You know, it's like I feel like there's been a little bit of reminder going on. Yeah. Yeah. And those early reminders set you up well for the follow-up conversation. If someone has mentioned a timeline or a deadline, there is nothing inappropriate about checking in with them if that deadline passes and you haven't heard from them or if that timeline isn't being followed or observed. And it doesn't need to be accusatory or demanding. It can just be a reach out, say hello, wondering about it. It doesn't even need to be a reminder as much as uh, just checking in, Mm -hmm. curious if we need a new deadline for doing comments or reviews of this paper. And proposing some sort of solution, some sort of new deadline, I think is oftentimes a good way to both set up a next stage of accountability, remind someone that you've missed one of those already without explicitly calling them out on it, Mm -hmm. and It's something that someone is probably expecting or anticipating if they had this deadline in their mind and they missed it and are feeling bad about it or if they've really forgotten it, it serves as the reminder that helps them remember. You're right. When I think about situations like this, in the first moment, you're always thinking from your perspective, right? You're sitting there going – The advisor's advisor, the boss's boss is going to be upset if I don't turn this paper in. That's problematic for me. I don't want to damage this relationship over here, but it's this person's, you know, lack of commenting on my paper that I can't turn in the revised paper. Like you're thinking from you. It might be that it's not such a big deal and both these advisors know that. It might be that the other advisor who hasn't turned anything in for you yet and given you the comments that you need 
is dealing with something and and this is just much less of a priority compared to whatever they are dealing with, if it's a family emergency or something like that. And so I try to think for a minute of if other people aren't worried, do I have to be worried? And I think you don't want to fall so far into that pattern that you're not doing things actively. But I think you can a little bit be comforted by the fact that like, okay, you know, this isn't actually my fault. And I can explain what's going on here to the to the people uh, involved. But I do think that it's not a bad idea if when you reach out to the advisor for those comments and you like you said, asking for that new deadline to also say is the deadline that we decide the new deadline, we decide on something we can communicate to, you know, boss's boss so that. Everyone's on the same page of when this needs to be turned in now that we know when the comments are going to get to me by. I think it's also fair to to ask whether or not the like and to, to throw the option out there in your response of and if the comments aren't needed and it just needs a little bit of a copy edit or, a you know, a second thought, I'm happy to, to do that on my own and send it on. Like it, there are those moments, too, where maybe the comments you're seeking aren't as heavily required as you think. I don't know. That's just a guess. And that might not be the situation. I like the way you're staying open to a lot of different responses. Mm-hmm. And when you're proposing solutions or ways to proceed, you're thinking about it in a couple of different ways because that's going to give the person who's receiving that message some latitude and some space in their own mind to reply in a way that isn't threatened or um, defensive and also is more likely to be something they can work with. They might be feeling like, oh, no, this paper needs a ton of work and it's just going to take them a lot of time and they need more time. Or like you say, maybe it doesn't need much. Maybe there's a quick call and you can move on. So what about if you reach out to advisor who's supposed to give you comments and you just get ghosted? You don't get any response whatsoever. Good question. And I was thinking about escalation. I'm not at this stage thinking about going to someone's boss. That's right. a that's a real escalation. When you start essentially reporting on someone Can to I their speak to your manager? supervisor, <laughs> yeah. there are professional repercussions. You want to be careful with how quickly you proceed with that kind of escalation. If it continues to happen, if it happens repeatedly, if multiple deadlines are missed, if the missing of those deadlines starts to mean that you miss deadlines, I think those become the – I don't even want to call them opportunities to talk about it with someone else. But when it becomes necessary to talk about it with someone else and you cross that bridge when you come to it, you don't worry about it too much before you get there. And you trust that when it is time to have those discussions, if it comes up, that you can do that in a way that's not accusatory or threatening or demanding. But it'll be forthright, honest, and in the spirit of looking for a solution. Maybe there's someone else that can review these papers. Maybe it's about looping some other people in so everybody understands the timeline that you're accountable to. No, I think so. And I think admitting that you're not totally sure what to do and to say, you know, boss's boss, uh, I'm reaching out because I'm not really sure what to do in this situation. I've I've reached out to my advisor a couple times to get comments and I haven't gotten the comments and now I'm not getting a response. And I know that this paper needs to be revised and turned in. And I just kind of wanted to set up a new game plan for success here. What, sh- what you know, could you help me figure out what to do or do you have any suggestions? The one other thing I was thinking about is sort of a practical piece of advice, mm-hmm. which is some people 
just aren't great with deadlines. Some people miss them by a day or two. Some people are very consistent. Oh, I have a deadline. I get it in the next morning or I get it in the following Monday. As you get to know this type of thing about anyone you work with, you do your best to work with it. And maybe it means that you set up your review sessions a week ahead of when you know you actually need that material back because it might take one or two back and forths just to get it into your hands. That kind Use of it as a tool for the future, a knowledge for the future. That kind of thinking ahead and planning ahead is sometimes necessary. And it's not about negotiating the human relationship. It's about managing the work in a way that is realistic in terms of the people that you're working with. Anxious graduate student, we hope this helps and good luck with the paper. Often we need to find opinions to settle our disputes. Sometimes you'll want the opinion of some expert or judge. Sometimes you'll want to take a vote to get the opinion of the whole group. Finding opinions is the way we settle many important questions. That's the way we'll settle this question. Our next question is about a snoring house guest. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast and appreciate all the etiquette tips I've picked up from you. I'm hoping you can help me with a dilemma I have. I'm moving into a studio apartment. The bedroom area is lofted. And my mother has said once I'm settled in, she'd love to visit and wants to stay in my new place while she visits. The issue is her snoring. I'm a very light sleeper and cannot sleep in the same space as her. We've shared hotel rooms on occasion for weekend family events, and I end up miserably sleep-deprived the entire visit, despite earplugs and white noise machines. How can I gracefully suggest she plan to find a place to stay nearby (laughs) during her visit? She knows that her snoring is my main concern. Thank you, Sleepless in the Midwest. Oh, sleepless in the Midwest. There's just only one way to do it. You got to do it, especially since mom knows that this is the issue. I think this is going to be a quick answer because as I was reading this question, I was thinking to myself, could you wear earplugs? Is there some sort of white noise machine? And clearly that is not going to work here. So the option that you're left with is... I don't want to call it blunt or brutal honesty, Mm -hmm. but let's call it a benevolent honesty that's direct. Yeah. Give mom the polite version first, right? Which there's no reason why we can't do that. And we can just say, you know, mom, I'd love to have you come visit with the apartment being a studio. I'm going to have to suggest that we look into a bread and breakfast, Airbnb, a hotel nearby. But I'm so excited that you want to come to town and spend some time here and get to know this space. It'll really really help warm it up for me. Like, I love that. And if she calls you on, let's let's call it instead of calling a bluff, calling politeness on you, (laughs) then you can say, yes, mom, I am. I am trying to be polite rather than saying your snoring is something that will really make it difficult for me to enjoy our time together. (laughs) That enjoyment of the time together (laughs) has got to be the focus. It's the the thought that I think you want to spend the most time on. And if you being sleep deprived means that you're not going to be as engaged, active, available when dinner rolls around or when you go out to do something, that's as good a reason as any to find a place to sleep where everyone can sleep. 
you might also emphasize that you want to get her to your apartment for as much time as you possibly can. Except the sleeping time. Without <laughs> sharing the sleeping space together. Let's bake something. Let's do Let's do this project together. Let's... I'm excited to show you my new place. I was thinking we might do some decorating, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to turn over decorating your new place <laughs> to, your mother. to your mother, but maybe there's something that you can really emphasize about the apartment that'll involve spending some time there, help her feel connected to that space. Could you offer to cover the cost of her staying at an Airbnb or at another place? That also might be a way to like treat mom to a visit, you know, very, very cool thing for kids to do for their parents. I really like that. I think that's a great idea. It might surprise her. It might very pleasantly surprise her. I've been thinking about a micro version of that, of planning an itinerary, finding a place right nearby and mapping out what the visit might look like in a way that really makes explicit your intention to spend a lot of time with her, to get her to your new place. The addition of offering to book that room and pay for it, I think, is really nice. Sleepless in the Midwest, we hope that you have a wonderful visit with your mother and that she understands with good humor why you're suggesting that she stay at a hotel. Going to bed at a regular time each night makes it easier for you to go right off to sleep instead of lying awake long into the night. Good sleeping habits help you get the most out of everyday living. This next question is about a smelly-shoed neighbor. Hello, Lizzie and Dan, longtime listener from Minnesota. I have run into a situation that has me stumped, and I am hoping you can shed some light. I recently moved to Rochester, Minnesota for a wonderful new job making prosthetic and orthotic devices and have been assimilating to a new town. I live on the lower level of a quadplex. My neighbor's door is right across the hall. It's an inset entry off the hallway. This family consists of three, mom, dad, and a toddler. I've noticed that they keep their shoes in this inset area, mostly dads. They're not very neat about it, and it sort of makes the building look dumpy. I figure it's not a big deal since it's not blocking hallway traffic. What is bothering me, however, is the smell. There's probably eight to ten pairs of shoes in a heap at any given time. I understand that they might be a no-shoes-inside-the-household family for multiple reasons— But I honestly think they keep the shoes out there so their own apartment doesn't start to stink. Is there a correct way to deal with the smell situation? Maybe there's even a way to approach the unsightliness? Do I just put an air freshener in the hallway near the shoes? How do I possibly say something to them? I feel any action or discussion could make things very awkward between us, and I don't want to make them feel embarrassed, overstep, or come across as hoity-toity. I have only interacted with them a couple of times for brief introductions or a good morning. I'm eager to hear your feedback. Thank you. Oh, anonymous. This is a tough tough one. Man, that's really tough. It's tough because it's impacting you. It's affecting you. It's about shared common space. And you don't have a lot of standing to address it or an established relationship that you can work through. The... First thought I have here is about some sort of get-to-know-your-neighbor effort or campaign that might open up the possibility for more dialogue about how you manage that shared space together. And that's my very optimistic 
kind of first pass thought because you don't always want to get to know all of your neighbors or spend that much time with them or get to know someone just for the sake of correcting a problem. I do think it's worth keeping in mind, though, that getting to know your neighbors can really reap rewards and pay benefits and dividends. So independent of just this shoe situation, making an effort to say hi, reach out, maybe even figure out some way to interact or get to know them a little bit might be a worthwhile effort just to start to get a baseline in place. <laughs> now let's talk about shoes a little bit. I was like going to say, so this could be months down the line before you feel good enough to like say, hey guys, think you could get a box to keep your shoes in? <laughs> a box isn't a bad idea. No, like one air of those freshener benches? is not a bad idea. I'm thinking like one of those benches that they could just store them all in and then it's not like a pile everywhere. But I also understand it's in an inlet, so it's not blocking anything. Like, you know, this is... We've seen this before in, in apartment complexes and, and condo situations and things like that. And you don't always want to go the route of let's establish standards for this space because maybe you've got a little something that you do out there and you don't want the rule to be nothing. <laughs> totally. Never, no time, no way. But that authority that is responsible for common areas, setting policies for shared spaces in the buildings might be another approach. And I definitely think checking in with a building manager or rereading your rental agreement to see how that common space is defined, if there are any limits on how people use it, is another step that you might take early on just to get your bearings here. That's my thought. My thought is the man go go the management route. Given the relationship, given that you are in a shared living environment in that way, that you know the you know, the actual units are connected and there are shared spaces and things like that. I think you look at the agreement, you see if anything's violating the agreement, not so that you could be like a rules person, not so that you can go hold a piece of paper in someone's face. That's not the point. The point is just that so that you understand you're actually asking about something that is a common agreement that everyone has made when they sign up to live in this space or that it's something that's not addressed and therefore it is more of a a subjective issue that, you know, you might talk to management about it and they might say, you know, because they're not blocking the hallway, there's really nothing we can do. And then it becomes something about if you feel good enough knowing, you know, with how well you know them to make the request of was just wondering if there was something we could do. The odor is becoming something I notice. And I totally understand wanting to not have shoes in the household, but I'm hoping there's something we can do to to kind of mitigate that. And I think that's one of the ways you can start to to approach a situation like this if you're not going to get the help from management. But I think I think this is going to be the kind of like go deal with management. They'll kind of put out a reminder or they'll make a specific request to this family. I like the way you're thinking about referencing the rules just so that you know the ground you're standing on, yeah. not necessarily to, to to use it to cudgel someone or force someone into something, but even just as a way to to know how to have the conversation if it does come to that. I also like the way you're opening that conversation. I wanted to make you aware of this. It's impacting me. If there's a way to mitigate it, I'd really appreciate it. I think that's all great language, and that's a reasonable discussion to have with a neighbor. There are all kinds of versions of the smelly shoe. Sometimes it's noise. Sometimes it's coming and going at certain hours. Sometimes it's the way kids are playing. And it's important for neighbors to be able to talk to each other. It might 
feel a little awkward for the first major interaction to be about something that's negatively impacting you, but it's not uncommon. It doesn't need to be something that results in a feud or a a really damaged relationship. And remember, too, that when you approach it with a really friendly, upbeat attitude, and that doesn't mean that you're making the request sound saccharine sweet. It means that when you greet them, you say, hey, it's so good to see you again. You know, that you're, you know, you're in that kind of a zone as opposed to coming at it with like a stark knock on the door and, um, hi, I'm your neighbor. There's something I need to talk to you about. Like, you don't have to put such a somber, serious level on it. It can be a, hey, oh, there is one thing I was hoping to talk to you about. I had started to notice it and I just didn't know how to bring it up. So I figured I might as well just go for it. You know, it's kind of like explaining yourself a little bit and and also just that upbeat attitude. It really does do so much to let someone know you're not trying to be a jerk. You're not trying to manage, micromanage environments. You are just trying to say, hey, this was something I noticed. I'm wondering if we could do something about it. <laughs> if I'm answering that door, I'm not feeling offended. I'm not feeling bothered. And maybe I'm even thinking to myself, I've got a nice neighbor. I didn't realize that our shoes smelled. I'm going to try to think of a way to deal with that. (laughs) Anonymous, I'm really hoping that you get to hear something like that and that your hallway is odor-free in the future. Well, boys and girls, how do you like living without rules? I hate it. This is no fun. It stinks. Well, what can be done about it? Guess if we're going to have any fun, we'd better make some rules. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. And on Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. That's I-N-S-T. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear about the good and the bad. Our first piece of feedback comes from Nancy in Minnesota. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I was listening to your podcast about the cocktail hour and it evoked a sweet memory for me. My young granddaughter, of course, had been part of many family and friend dinners. She observed how as people arrived, they would be greeted, offered a beverage and would mingle with happy conversation before dinner with drinks and appetizers. One time, when she was about six years old, she was playing pretend and recreating this scenario. She served her sister and dolls imaginary drinks and food and said, Now it's the talking time. It tickled me that this is exactly what she had seen. Going forward, it will always be the talking time to me. Really enjoy your podcast. Thanks, Nancy in Minnesota. That's so cute. It reminds me of little little Anna Post. And my mom used to say that whenever everyone would um, clink glasses and say cheers, Anna would say chat because it was once people had cheers, that's when the talking would begin. So she's like, and chat. (laughs) It reminds me of this, the talking time. (laughs) I could so see Anna doing that. (laughs) Totally. Our next piece of feedback comes from Heinz in Missouri. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, my wife, Mary Lou, loves listening to your Awesome Etiquette podcast. She has her phone on speaker mode as she walks around the house with an earshot of me. Over the past few months, I have come to enjoy your podcast, too. 
Daniel, however, you raised my ire when you recently used the phrase "for Lizzie and I." This is a serious violation of grammar etiquette, and it's definitely not acceptable. Would you say this advice is for I? Of course, you wouldn't. You'd say this advice is for me. Therefore, you need to say this advice is for Lizzie and me. The preposition "for" and the other prepositions always require the objective case "me." I haven't heard you say it. Well, it's possible you said it when I was out of earshot, but I have heard many people say between you and I. Ask Mary Lou. I become quite agitated at this unforgivable violation of grammar etiquette. Yes, between you and me is always correct. I hope I haven't violated any rules of decorum by pointing out your grammatical transgression. I do enjoy awesome etiquette and plan to continue listening as my wife walks around the house. Your daily etiquette lesson is indeed awesome entertainment and instruction for both Mary Lou and me. Sincerely, Hines in Missouri. Hines, it is certainly not incorrect, and thank you for taking the time to bring this to my attention. <laughs> Remind I <will> Dan. <laughs> try to do better in the future. We do try to get it every now and again. We get that one wrong, and there there are a few others. Bad and badly seem to be one that one one particular listener really writes in about. And you know, we're we're human. We make mistakes too, but it's good to be reminded of them. And then you hear that little voice in your head that was your grammar authoritarian and whoever that was in your life. But it was really funny that. This is the one Heinz brought up because my mother, my sister, and I were talking about this very issue and how on television it is so cringeworthy to listen to television. Where they get and me and I completely wrong in multiple different circumstances, or they're always putting the personal first, so it's me and Sam, and that drives me nuts too. And so it's I just oh man, it's I wish we had more of our entertainment industry really, really putting the proper grammar out there because I do think collectively more people would then just be using it naturally. So thank you for the reminder. <laughs> exactly, and I want to be a show that people enjoy listening to as they walk around their house. And I don't want bad grammar to get in the way of good etiquette advice. So thank you, Heinz. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost dot com, or leave us a voicemail or text at eight zero two eight five eight K I N D. That's eight zero two eight five eight five four six three. It's time for our postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, we're going to return to the four basic elements required to teach any skill. I love this because this comes right out of our train the trainer teaching that we just did with our children's training group, and it's it's such. Good solid information for learning any skill in life, and it's such a great reminder of what it takes to really get something to either be a habit or to be something that you've really mastered well. So I'm I'm actually really glad that we're returning to this. It's good solid info. Me too. As is always the case, whenever you're teaching people to teach something, it requires you to think deeply about what it is you do and. As I sat with my mother and we introduced the concept of teaching etiquette to children, I was reminded about certain essential concepts that are so important to everything we do at Emily Post, and some of them we talk about on this show all the time: consideration, respect, and honesty being foundational principles for good etiquette, or etiquette being a combination of manners and principles, both basic skills and core values. 
we mentioned consideration, respect, and honesty, those core values at the start of every show. They're the foundation for a lot of the advice that we give. The manners are tricky because acquiring manners is all about acquiring skills. It's an expression of values, but it's also about your ability to perform a behavior or a task. And when it comes to teaching children those expected behaviors, you have to think about it in a very uh, pedagogical way. How am I going to teach this? And What's the step-by-step? How does it build? (laughs) Exactly. And it works really well for adults just like it does for children. So the idea when you're thinking about a manner skill is you want to be sure that the person that you're teaching it to has the basic ability. So with children, you're looking at their development, their social development, whether or not they're capable of doing something. First, the person, the child or the person has to have the basic ability. Second, you have to have good teaching. You need to have someone who can model the behavior, demonstrate the task and break it down in a way that it's in bites or understandable language that whoever's learning it can perform it and can understand exactly what's required. The good teaching is a really important part. Anyone who has tried to teach someone how to drive and had it not go well or how to ride a bike and had it not go well, like those are those those classic moments where you're just so flatly confronted with the how important it is to teach something well, how a good teacher is actually a really incredible person because of how they can break something down and make it make sense for someone else. And it's it's a huge part of this. If you think about an introduction, it can seem like a, a gestalt. Everything just is happening all together. And there are component parts. There is the the standing up, the looking someone in the eye, the smiling, the coordination of language. For a little child, it might mean coming out from behind a knee. mama's <laughs> leg and, and, and just getting two feet on the floor and standing still. It might even be just, can I stand still long enough to execute this? You've got to have the ability. You've got to have the teaching. You've got to be able to identify what the important components are. Once you've got those two things in place, you need to practice until that skill is acquired or until it's demonstrated. And And you would think that's the end of the process. No, it's not, though. So we say that it's important to practice until you can perform the manner, the skill, the task. And then you have to repeat that action until it becomes a habit, until it becomes something you can execute on demand, you can do without having to think about it as something that's broken down into all of these parts. And the funny thing about that repetition one is that that's the one where we hear from our audience so much about how, I feel like a broken record. I feel like I nag. I feel like this. And that is exactly what you should feel like with it, because that's the repetition part. That's the it's so it's it's funny. It always cracks me up because the repetition is this last piece that's really needed to make this a habit, to make this something someone's so familiar with they can just perform or do easily. And yet it's the thing that we we have to constantly remind <laughs> through repetition, folks, that the repetition is the key part. And I just I love that little circle. <laughs> Cindy Sending, my mother, likes to say, I hear from parents, how many times do I have to tell my child to say please or thank you? And her answer is until they're doing it consistently. Until you don't have to say it anymore. (laughs) So it's basic ability, good teaching, practice, and then repetition. Four 
stages for requirements to attaining or developing a new skill and manners are a skill. They are a gift that lasts a lifetime. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms, and today we hear from Ingrid. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener and a sustaining member. Thank you, Ingrid. Please send your questions in. I look forward to each Tuesday to listening to the week's episode on my commute. My etiquette salute goes out to two commuters in Washington, D.C., who each stopped to offer their assistance. I was recently in D.C. for a business meeting and was flying home after the last day of the meeting. Thus, I had my suitcase with me. I was boarding the metro train at the DuPont station north entrance and discovered that the down escalator was not running. This meant trooping down a long escalator some 150 steps. Since I was going slower than many of the commuters, I walked on the right, and whenever I heard someone approaching on my left, I would swing my suitcase in front of me and allow them to pass. Two separate individuals, after passing me, stopped, removed their earbuds, and asked if I would like them to carry my suitcase to the bottom of the escalator. I was so touched by their kindness and thanked them for their generous offers. It was a short business trip and my suitcase was not at all heavy. Thank you to those generous two, one man and one woman, who truly brightened my morning that day. Ingrid, I love that. I love that so much. I love that people are, you know, we get blamed for being a culture that that tunes things out. And just because we look like we're tuned out doesn't necessarily mean that we are tuned out. And I really love this. The after the pass, the removal of the earbuds, the offer for help, like so great. I like that there was both that overcoming of that what is often viewed as a technological hurdle. And I love that it was a man and a woman that both offered to help, that courtesy doesn't have to be a gendered affair, that it's really not about just men being courteous to women or women being courteous to men. It's about people being courteous to people. Ingrid, thank you for this lovely reminder. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please continue to connect with us and share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers in whatever way is likely to get them to listen to Awesome Etiquette. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst and at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. And don't forget that if you want just a little extra awesome etiquette in your life because you've caught up on all the shows, you can always sign up for a sustaining membership to go through all of our bonus material. And then you can always opt out of your sustaining membership as well. So if you want to pop in just for a bit, we'd be glad to have you. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It's another way to support the show and it helps our rankings, which helps other people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and was assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.